Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete. I'm Kerry Rouse, and I travel to racetracks around the U.S., where I interview members of the racing community and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. I'm here with John Krolowitz. Did I get that right, John? Yep. Awesome. Uh, so John is the Senior Manager, Regional Track Program Development at SCCA. And I was introduced to John from another fellow racer who was in the um, SCCA a while ago. Now she's in New Zealand. So Lexi was kind enough to connect us. And I would love to hear about uh, what is going on in your world right now related to racing. Oh, man. I don't know that there's anything in my world not related to racing. So we could be here. We, we could be here a while. But, uh, you know, the, the title that you outlined there is, is the title. And it's we joke that it doesn't fit on, uh, on, a, on a business card. And uh, one of the jokes we also made is that it should just say SCCA Special Forces uh, because I am involved in a little bit of all of it. Uh, you know, working with, with folks in different departments and on different advisory uh, committees. Uh, I am the chair of the SCCA Enduro Board, uh, which handles sort of the, the Team Enduro program, uh, which is our long format wheel-to-wheel racing program. I am still helping with the time trial program. I still help with the track event programs with things like Track Night in America. Um, we've got some exciting stuff with autocross coming up that uh, that I have even consulted on. Uh, and then I even get to participate in, in our EVAC uh, advisory board. We love our, our advisory boards at, uh, at the Sports Car Club of America. And EVAC is uh, Electrified Vehicle Advisory Committee. Uh, so each month mm-hmm. and a few emails a week, I get to sort of help plan for our uh, the new electrical vehicles as opposed to internal combustion vehicles. So all of that goes on uh, on a daily basis for me. <laughs> So is that is that the national level or some sort of regional level? Like, how, how does that correspond to the levels? Yes. So if, uh, you know, folks don't know about the SCCA, we're a national organization, but we're made up of our 115 regions. And those regions, they may be a specialized region in, in one program, like maybe a region only autocrosses, or maybe a region only does road racing, or maybe a, a bigger region might do both road racing and autocrossing. So what the national office does is we support those regional efforts. Well, you know, we do have some programs that we put on from the national office, but for the most part, my goal is to help those regions when they want to engage or, or have a program or host an event with one of those programs. I, I bring in what we've learned at the national level, what other regions might've learned and then help support them, you know, by, by helping them put up, the, put those events on. Got it. So, how how long have you been in this role? The the title role that that I have right now, I am going on my second year. I have been uh, a an employee of the Sports Car Club of America for seven years now. Um, the first year, I guess, I was an independent contractor when we were first kicking on kick, kicking off Track Night. You know, so I came on board uh, to help launch the Track Night in America program, which then we brought. And sort of expanded the the national role of track events in general 
uh, after that was you know moving along and going pretty well they said hey what what should we do next and our decision was time trials we reformatted the time trials program we put on a national series on you know for for those uh, and then we came back and we said okay you know now that we we have this sort of new approach to time trials let's let's see how it is for the regions and you know brought that to the regions and then once uh once that was sort of moving along they looked at me and they said hey let's let's approach this enduro event and let's see how we can plug all of these events into events that regions have at racetracks so the title is newish um but the the duties have sort of grown and and evolved from you know from step one of me coming on board with the club how i mean maybe this is a hard question to answer how many people work for SCCA from the the mothership, the the national office? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good question, right? Because we we certainly have hundreds, if not thousands, of of regional volunteers that are going to work for those events. But the the national office itself has about thirty full time employees, and then I think probably another twenty, maybe fifteen to twenty independent contractors that'll work. Uh, on on national programs and national initiatives but not under that uh all famous w2 got it so with all this work do you ever get on the track <laughs> man it happens less and less now that i um that i spend my time helping helping other folks uh i did get to go autocross a couple of weeks ago i might get to go autocross this coming weekend at our uh tyrac SCCA national tour in in charlotte north carolina but the you know the reality is most of the time when my efforts are going into helping the SCCA members get on track, uh, it's not something I get to do as much as I used to. Got it. Well, there was something you mentioned when we were talking before the meeting starting, and something about going to the Indy 500 for just a few times. So. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. How many times have you been to that thing? Yeah, l last week was my 38th Indianapolis 500 uh, as an uh, as an attendee, which has been done and everything as uh, from spectator. Uh, I've I've gone as credential media, as a writer, as a photographer. Uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty lucky that now I go and do photography for the Indianapolis Star when I go. Uh, but that's that is what got me into motorsports. Uh, and then, of course, as I looked at doing, you know, my own driving, you know, the Indy 500 used to be a, you know, a place where if you wanted to go drive there, you would go run, you know, sprint cars and midgets. And in the 90s, when I started driving, it was more of a place that you came up through with uh, Formula Ford and sports cars and prototypes. And that's how I discovered the SCCA was in route to uh, attempt to drive there. And, uh, and now I, I work for the SCCA. So all kinds of fun. Well, you and you can still drive for the Anthony Indy 500, couldn't you? I I could if uh, what's the lottery at this week? Two hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> that, that would probably yeah. that would probably do it, but that's about what it would take, I think. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So you said you started racing in the nineties, right? Yep. Yeah, I started in and, and in, how did I mean? How did you actually get started? Man, so. You know, I'm from South Carolina, and that's one of the things that really was one of the first, uh, you know, lessons of SCCA and accessibility for me. I, you know, grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. We had a couple of dirt tracks locally, and I would look at the, you know, I'd look at those racetracks, 
And as I, you know, I knew I wanted to go be a race car driver and, but each dirt track had its own set of rules. It had its own set of classes. It had its own set of, you know, like, well, if you build a track, your car for this, you can't go run. And if you build a car for that one, you can't go run to the other place. And I ended up at a, at a downtown automobile event one day and the local SCCA folks, uh, Chuck Cecil was the regional executive then. He, uh, he had a display set up with his truck and a Formula Continental. And uh, there was a Porsche 914 on display from Alan Roof had that one out and, uh, and another a Formula, at the time a Formula 440, which we now call Formula 600 because of the evolving engines in that class. But, and, you know, they were explaining to me how, no, if you go run at Road Atlanta and you go run at uh, Charlotte or you go run at, you know, Laguna Seca, it's all the same rules and, and the value of the, of that. And so, that's when I decided, okay, it looks like SCCA is the place to be. Um, went out and bought a Honda CRX, started autocrossing. A couple years later, uh, saved up and bought a, an old, slow Formula Ford and started road racing it. Uh, and so, um, actually, I guess before that, I actually went karting first because they also knew their way into the the kart, karting ranks um, and how that worked very similar to the SCCA in terms of national classes. So it was karts, autocross, Formula Ford, and uh, and none of it, none of it I ever really gave up. Still have a go-kart, still have a Honda CRX, still have a Formula Ford, you know, and so, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's sort of how I got involved was just, you know, talking to people that did the racing like I do now, and then having them introduce me to the options, and then picking the options that were, you know, best for me at whatever time and, and budget would allow it, you know, at, at each point. So what, what, when you did the go-karting, was that with SCCA or somebody else? No, the, the SCCA didn't do go-karts in, in autocross until, gosh, probably about a decade after I got started. Uh, so I started with um, WKA, World Karting Association, and uh, and some IKF, International Karting Federation, events. Uh, you know, that was where I started. And, you know, at that point, you had to be 18 to get an SCCA road race license. So I couldn't have gone scca racing at that point anyway but the carts you know the carts were a great place to start and uh actually a, another friend jay here in town that was an scca member you know helped me by uh you know let me work on my cart at his shop where he prepared his uh scca uh what was it a gt3 uh pinto so you know even when i wasn't racing with scca there was a lot of sort of love and share and care of of enthusiasts throughout that uh, throughout the whole group so where where are you located right now? So right now I'm living just outside of Columbia, South Carolina, uh, which is great. I've got uh, Road Atlanta, 200 miles west of me. I've got Carolina Motorsports Park, 60 miles east of me. I've got Charlotte, 100 miles north. I've got VIR, 200 miles north. I've got Daytona, about uh, 400 miles south. Uh, you know, it is a great location to have a tremendous amount of really nice, uh, you know, world-class tracks that are easy, easy to get to within a, within a day's drive. So speaking of world-class tracks, you know, you obviously have been probably quite a few tracks and I'm curious to know if you have any favorites. Oh man. I mean, no, number one is, is always Indianapolis, right? And I got, you know, I got lucky enough to race it a few years ago and now the SCCA has actually been been twice with the national championship runoffs. I can tell you that it is it is difficult to, to negotiate your first lap on a racetrack when there are tears in your eyes. Uh, 
So that one is always my, will always be my favorite. The, the, the fact that it races pretty well is, is also great. Uh, you know, outside of that, VIR is tremendous and I've been, you know, I've been all over the country. Uh, you know, I tell people if there's a better track, uh, than, you know, in the, in the world than VIR for just driving, I don't know what it is. And the next thing they say is, well, what about the Nürburgring? I'm like, nope, I've been on the Nürburgring. I picked VIR. So, uh, VIR is amazing, you know, but then, you know, similar to Indianapolis, you go to someplace like Sebring or Daytona and, you know, you race in places that are just incredibly historic and, you know, you can look back at pictures from the fifties the and, and the sixties and, and look at pictures of your heroes racing on it and go, wait, I, I get to race there. I've, I've gotten to drive there. I've gotten to be these places is I probably gravitate more towards historical value than I do ultimate rush. Got it. Got it. Any, any tracks that either you've just had traditionally poor luck at, or you just, it, you just, it's not the type of track that appeals to the way you like to drive. You know, I, I don't know for me that there's a lot of that, you know, one of the, one of the benefits that, that I have having done, you know, I started in carts, but then I, you know, started do, did autocrossing. And of course, autocrossing is a new track every time you go run it. And so, I don't feel like I've ever really struggled with a track. I, I used to think that Roebling Road down in Savannah, Georgia was the track that I struggled with. I was always a little bit off pace there. Uh, and then one day I bolted new tires on and I learned that, you know, in a track that 80% of it is cornering, buying third-hand used tires uh, to race on will will make it your not best track. But, you know, once once I got some new once I got some new tires, it turned out I was like, oh, I actually like this place, too. So. Uh, so, no, it's. Yeah, there just hasn't been somewhere that I hate. You know, I I I love going racing each, you know, each track presents its unique challenges. And so, you know, if I'm lucky enough to be on a track on a given day, I'm pretty dang happy to be there. Awesome. So what about of all the races you've been in? Have any stood out as very, very memorable to you? I mean, and, and why, why is that for that race? I'm getting a, a lost connection to server alert. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I'm going to wait a second before I... There we go. Now it says I'm pre- reconnected. I don't know if I lost it, but I didn't want to answer it if in case it wasn't, uh, it wasn't there. Oh, man, races no, that stand out. I, I races appreciate that. Stand, yep, races that stand out to me. The my first uh, was it my first race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Yeah, my first race at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which we ran on on the Roval there back in 1998, was my first win in a car. Uh, went through a pretty brutal um, fight for for first place um, with a with another Formula Ford, and of course we're racing in a mixed class. And when the Formula Atlantics came to lap us, I used the lapping car as the pick to get the to get the lead. Um, and so that one definitely stands out as, as a good race. I, you know, there are times that, that I've gotten to drive, you know, some just really exciting stuff. The, I got, I got to drive the 24 hours of Daytona in a prototype. Um, the race did not go spectacularly well for our team, but I, you know, one of my most just biggest impressions that's ever been made on me was coming down through the infield. Uh, in my first stint in during the race and looking over at the fence between the the international horseshoe and the kink and seeing all of the people on it and realizing like wait for for eight years i was the person that hung on that fence and now i'm 
I'm over here. And that was like, it didn't matter what happened in that race. That was a, that's a moment that I will never, ever forget. Yeah, that's fantastic. So with all of the stuff you've done and, and you, you've got one of every car left over since <laughs> you're racing, what, what about the future? Let's, you know, a few years from now, do you, do you anticipate uh, racing in a, in a particular class or something like that? Or what are your goals maybe a few years from now? I mean, for, for me personally, it's, it's, it's kind of hard because right now I really look around at the people that, that are coming racing in inside of the SCCA. And a lot of my drive is to, to do things with the programs that we have, to do things with the events that we have, to do things with the classes that we have that hopefully enable those folks that are looking to have some of the same experiences I did, um, be able to do it with, you know, less hardship or at least no more hardship. Right. And so, you know, I've got a, a friend named Blair that, uh, that runs a B spec right now. And, and, you know, he's, he's worked for us at track night. And, and in the yes. Deffenbaugh. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's worked with us and done a tremendous amount of stuff, but I, a lot of times I look at him as the model of like, how can I make this sport easier for somebody like him? And not necessarily what can I do to go drive again? You know, so for me in the future, I'd love to be able to climb in any of the stuff that I have climbed in before, right? The, uh, my, my formula, I'm going to go ahead and call it a formula F since it does have the Honda motor in it and not the Ford. Um, my formula F is sitting there ready to go. And, you know, and I want to be back in it. I would love to get back in some of the pro stuff, right? It's, it's exciting. It's fun to do, but you know, the, the reality is I, you know, we've made so many strides with opening up the racetrack to, to different people, uh, in the past seven years that really that's where a lot of my focus is. Uh, and maybe if I, Maybe if I get it to a place where, hey, it's going and and I feel like it's it's under good care, then I'll look back and go, okay, where can I, where's the next place I'm gonna go race? Where where am I gonna go, go run next? But it's it is it is admittedly tough to do both. So yeah, that's a uh, get me thinking about all kind all kinds of stuff. I was lucky enough to go uh, autocross a couple weeks ago and I helped set up a new a new to the sort of new to them car on new to them tires and so all weekend you know i've got the toe plates out and you know the camber the camber gauge and and we're adjusting and messing with ride heights and and all of that and then you know i go drive and i'm like okay i like it better but do you guys like it better and they get in they're like yeah i like it better you know because sometimes a a new driver and a veteran driver don't necessarily like the same thing so those kind of things are awesome i love that ability to do development C modified is a class in autocross that is uh, looking at a at a tire change uh, because of some some market forces we'll call them that have uh, looks like their their favorite tire is is going to go away and so I'm looking forward to buying a couple of different sets of tires and and going and putting them on the on the formula car and and going and running and seeing what may what may be best for the next, you know, generation of, of C modified inside of autocross. So those are the things I think about now more than can I, you know, can I get a sponsorship and can I get in a pro race this, this year? Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned something about, you know, winning the lottery earlier, right? In general, one of the things that, that I hear, or at least that I notice is 
you know, one of the biggest barriers for people to get into or even stay in racing is the cost. Like it, it has, has to be close to the top in terms of issues that, that folks struggle with. Um, can you <clears throat> explain maybe, is there anything the SECA is doing? Cause I'm sure they recognize this as well on how to make this a little bit easier for people to continue and to get into the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple ways that you, that you want to look at it, you know, when you start talking about cost, right. And one, most of the time when people hear about racing and they think about pro racing, uh, you know, the cost can be viewed as a sort of tuition. Uh, you know, if you are going to prove that, that you can go handle an Indy car or handle a formula one car or, you know, or a P one, you know, a, you know, a GTP and IMSA, you're going to have to go through those educational steps. And that means paying the tuition to prove that you can learn. That's not so much of an SCCA thing. You know, there's, uh, we could, I could certainly uh, give a dissertation on, on pro racing economics. SCCA is definitely more of a space for an amateur racer. And the same way pro racing has huge costs involved, amateur racing can absolutely have uh, huge costs involved. You know, we have, classes that mirror pro classes you know so if you're going to go run a Formula atlantic or a gt1 car in, inside of the scca even at a you know at a an amateur level you know those are those are race cars that take the same tires and fuel and, and gas and as a pro race car does um, but there are absolutely things that the scca is doing to reduce we'll call it the cost of entry right so we might not be able to change the cost of the top level, but the entry level classes are absolutely something that the SCCA gives a lot of thought about. Um, you know, we mentioned Blair Geffen Bond, B-Spec, right? Those are cars that, uh, you know, can be had, you know, race ready for, you know, uh, less than $15,000, probably quite a bit less than $15,000. Uh, you know, I put Blair on the spot. He won a, he won one of our majors tours, uh, our, uh, actually a Hoosier Super Tour a few weeks ago. And I said, okay, if you were going to duplicate that car, what would it be? And, uh, and I think he said somewhere around, you know, um, $17,000, right. And that's for a nationally winning car. And that's, that's pretty dang good. You know, we also have classes, you know, like formula V that can be got into on a, you know, with a competitive car for, you know, around that same level of money. Outside of road racing, you know, Track Night in America is a, is a program that, you know, we, our tagline there is the easiest way to get on track. Uh, and most tracks are, I think, sub $200. I think Daytona is a little bit more than $200. But for, you know, somewhere between $150 to, to $200, um, you know, that can put you on track with your street car. And I've seen people out there with, you know, their $3,000 Honda Fit uh, on a racetrack. Um, autocross, of course, is another super accessible way. We saw a change a few years ago from the R compounds that might only have a, a 50 or 60 run lifespan down to uh, or over to a, a 200 treadwear street tire. Um, you know, that reduces the cost of running. Uh, and I mentioned that I'm working on the, the team enduro program. And that is, uh, you know, what I like to call an easy access uh entry point for wheel to wheel racing, you know, 200 treadwear tires, cars that have a much wider range of allowable modifications. So I think that everything we do inside of SCCA 
at least has a little bit of, well, how do we make this as easy as possible? Even if we're still, even if we still recognize that motorsports by virtue of, you know, gasoline and insurance and travel costs and track rental fees and, and all that, you know, is still not going to be the least expensive sport somebody can participate in. Yeah. So I wanted to mention, I was actually at BIR when Blair, when Blair won, I, I actually interviewed him there at the event. So that was kind of fun. Excellent. Um, I'd never met him before. Super nice guy. So um, keeping in touch with him and um, hopefully we'll see him a little bit more this year if possible. And then if I could get you to, for people that are listening who don't know what, I want to kind of go through the different formats. One is Track Night in America. Like, how does that work? What can people expect? You know, you already kind of mentioned the cost. So um, let's promote that just a little bit and help me um, share that information. Yeah, absolutely. So the, uh, you know, the Track Night in America driven by Tire Rack uh, is a program that is focused at getting somebody on track that might never have known they would have that opportunity. And so what that means is, you know, if they have a streetcar and they go buy a helmet, they can pretty much come out and do this. Um, so what kind of streetcar? Like, oh, I don't have a, I don't have a streetcar that can do it. I've seen people in minivans. I've seen people in, you know, the Honda Fits, like I was talking about. Um, we've seen, you know, some even small SUVs, right? The only, I don't want to call them the only two safety rules, but the only two sort of things that can keep a car from being on track is, you know, of course, if it's not safer or up to speed, but if it's a convertible, particularly an older convertible that doesn't have rollover protection, then, uh, then they would need to get some rollover protection. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if the car is taller than it is wide then we would, you know, we would consider that a rollover risk. And so we would ask that they would go um, get another one. But even in, even in that case, uh, there was a gentleman that called me a few years ago and he said, hey, I have, let's call it a, a not small SUV. Um, he said, I have one of these and I just measured it and it matches. Can I come do track night? And I said, well, I don't believe you. Uh, and I have one of those as a tow vehicle. So let me walk outside and actually check. Um, so I went out and measured, measured this vehicle, um, that I used to, to tow my race car around with, uh, and I cussed all the way back in the house <laughs> because it indeed was wider than, uh, than it was tall. And I, and I spoke with him and I said, you know, it, it fits the rules, but it's pretty heavy. I don't know if this is the thing to come run. Uh, he ended up getting a Miata, you know, and so then he had his tow vehicle for his, his Miata. So, you know, the point of that is that there are a lot of cars that you don't think could, could be track worthy that ultimately end up really being track worthy. And so that is what track night in America is designed around is to get those cars that you don't traditionally think of as race cars and as track cars and give people the opportunity to come out and learn and experience and, if it's a one-time, hey, I drove on a on a racetrack bucket list, that's great. If it's the start to, hey, I'm going to do this a bunch of times a year, then that's great too. But it is that space where enthusiasts can come and engage and and have that experience and um, and see what see what next they want to do inside of motorsports, whether it's on on track or off track or uh, or with a different car or with the same car. 
You know, I don't think I mentioned this to you. I'm going to go back to this Trek Night America, but but I do race B-Spec. I've done that for the last two years. Um, I'm just not doing it this year to focus on the podcast and the YouTube channel. Uh, so I'm, I'm out at there. I'm going to be a VIR like three times this year, and I'm not going to be driving, which uh, is, 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 um, you know, is upsetting, but whatever. I'll, I'll get out there soon enough. But I started, when I very first started about two and a half years ago, I went out to... It wasn't Trent Night in America. It was just some other, you know, track day. <clears throat> and I only went out twice before I was like, I'm doing this. And then got my competition license through the SCCA at uh, MSR Houston. But but when I, ha- I had a Mustang, a Mustang GT, and I was talking to some people who, who'd done this. And I was like, well, w- what do I need to do? Like, uh, is it safe as it is? And they suggested that maybe the only thing I should consider is switching out the the brakes um, for better brakes and um, putting the stainless steel brake line in because with that car I could really really heat up that that um, the brake fluid. D- yep. Do you, do you see that being an issue that people need to consider for track night in America? Yeah, I mean the only you know what I tell people is it, you know the car needs to be in good condition and, and that doesn't mean race condition, right? The reality is we live in a a lot of people like to look at the early 70s as the golden age of the car, right? And we look back at muscle cars and and the introduction of the Porsche 911. But the truth is, we are living in the golden age of the car right now. You know, if you go back to the 1970s or the 80s and you go to a showroom, you know, you were to walk into a new car showroom and you think about the cars that you saw, the majority of the cars on the road, right? Go watch an old movie or an old TV show like Starsky and Hutch. None of those cars were really track ready. And yet you can go buy, you know, the lowest price car on on a lot and the brakes are good enough and the tires are good enough that, you know, a car in in that kind of condition is pretty much ready to go on track. And so what I tell people is make sure the tires are in good condition. They don't have to be racing tires. They just have to be in good condition. Make sure the brakes are in good condition. They don't have to be racing brakes. Right. But you don't want all brakes on the car and make sure the brake fluid is is new. Right. That's a, that is the biggest thing, uh, you know, brake fluid by nature of how it works as it heats up. The more time it heats up, uh, it will pull in moisture from the air and then the easier it heats up and the easier it boils. You know, so the reality is on a modern car, if you've got. You know, more than half of your pad life left and you've got more than half of your tire life left and you put you know new brake fluid in it. That car is going to be a a pretty good car to go get that first experience it in. Is it going to, is it going to go win the road race this weekend? No, but you don't need to do that at a, at an event like track night in America, right? Because that, that is much more similar to, I'm going to go to the ski slopes and I'm going to go, I'm going to go pick the slope to ride down and I'm going to, I'm going to ski down it. And at the end of the day, I'm going to go have a drink, right? You're not, you're not necessarily trying to see how fast you can go but you're still doing something quick that's exhilarating in a, in a controlled environment. And that's, you know, Hayward Wagner introduced me to that concept when he was asking me to come help with track night in America. He said, you know, what we're really trying to do is create this snow sports for, for car enthusiasts. And uh, you know, there's a lot of times that you'll go out to even a track day and the goal of the instructors is, well, you're not fast enough to move up or you're not, you know, you, 
you're going to do this so that one day you can go road racing. And the reality is that just like there are a lot of skiers on the slopes that are never going to put a number on and, and put a stopwatch on them. And just like there are a lot of, you know, joggers and runners and mountain bikers that are going to go do stuff outside at a park. There are a lot of people with cars that can just come have fun with it without worrying about, you know, a trophy or a lap time or, or an award. And, and that's the space we're really trying to create and cars on, you know, if your car is safe enough to be on the road, there's a little bit of an asterisk there, right? If your car is safe enough to be on the road, it at this point, it should be near near track ready. Yep. So help it describe when somebody shows up at a track night in America, what do they expect? What is the experience like? When do they go on? Do they go on with somebody? Are they racing somebody? All those kind of things. So, you know, we uh, so right off, I'll kind of answer backwards. Nope, there's no racing. You know, we even have point bypassing. So, uh, so if you're, you know, if you're out in the car, we don't want somebody to surprise you by coming by you. So you're not allowed to pass unless you give a point by. And for the folks that are brand new, that means only on the longest straightaways, right? So we're trying to give plenty of time for that awareness to build. You know, somebody, somebody should have the chance to look around and look up and go, okay, there's a car that's faster than me. He's in my mirror. I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give this point by. You know, so that's that's why there's no racing. Our joke at the events or my joke always was even if we said something like the racing line, we would need to put a dollar in the in the swear jar, you know, because nothing about that event should should be like a race. Is there going to be somebody with you? The answer is in the car. No. Uh, you know, we've done a lot of research on this and a lot of, uh, of adjustment of the curriculum. There are track day groups out there, including SCCA region uh, regions that put a coach in the in the car with the driver. Uh, we do not do that at track night in America. We don't find it's it's certainly not necessary for safety. And we've learned that when people get to relax by working up to speed at their own uh, their own comfort level and not having to worry about who in the car they need to impress, uh, that they actually have a little bit better experience. But we that does not mean that it is not coached. Every group is coached. And so the, if it's your first time coming out to a track night, uh, you know, the, the novice experience is, uh, is there and you will, you'll come in, you get checked in, you then have a novice, uh, what we call a novice briefing, which you get introduced to your coach and you say, look, this is kind of how the day is going to go. And then before we even talk to you about any flags or anything like that, uh, you get to go take a slow, uh, what we call a uh, touring laps around the track to look at it. Then you come in and you get a longer explanation about, okay, here's the flags we're going to use. Here's how the track is going to work. And once you've done that and you go out on track and you come right back in, you meet with the coach again, you go out on track and you come right back in and you meet with the coach again. Um, and so, you know, if you're a novice in inside of that track night in America program, uh, you're going to have somebody there to answer those questions. As soon as you get off track, you're going to have somebody there to guide you through that experience. And even for somebody that's coming into track night that is not a novice or somebody that was a novice that has progressed to one of the other groups, intermediate or advanced, we still have coaches there. There is always a line of open communication and dialogue you know, for, for that driver to come up to a coach and say, hey, this happened on track or I was trying this and it didn't work the way I wanted it to. Well, why did that happen or what should I do, right? We, we are really, really 
uh, you know, focused on making sure those lines of communication and that facilitated experience is, is one that everybody can have. So everyone shows up and then based upon their experience, they're put in a particular group that's similar experience. But within that group, there can be a wider range of cars and performance abilities of these cars, right? Yep. How, how do how did they, how did they, how do you send them out? Just one at a time, they're kind of timed. So there's a lot of space between them and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, depending on the track and depending on the density, you are always going to be in some amount of traffic, right? Someplace like Pittsburgh International Race Complex, I think is um, uh, a little bit less than three miles, you know, so we'll put about 30 cars on track, but you're always going to be around people. So when we first send people off a of pit road, we kind of try to give a little bit of a gap, but chances are you're, you're going to be in traffic pretty, you know, fairly quick, whether it's somebody coming around or whether you're in a faster car and you're catching a slower car, you know, so that's, so that happens. And that's where I talk about curriculum and how we coach, you know, what strategies we coach, you know, so, you know, a lot of times you go to a racetrack, you go to a classroom and the first thing they talk to you about is, okay, let's talk about the driving line. Um, You know, the track night philosophy is really, let's talk about building awareness. So yeah, we're going to talk about how to get on and off track. We're going to talk about um, where and when and how to look at the corner stations to identify the flag. And then we're going to also give strategies about, you know, when to check the mirrors and when to point people by, right? Those are the things that ultimately for a recreational event like Track Night in America matter more than whether or not you're hitting the perfect apex or, you know, threshold breaking. Like all of those things are, you know, our speed things that come after you've built that, you know, I call it a racetrack vocabulary. And the first vocabulary is the awareness of what's going on. And so, you know, so hopefully once somebody gets out there and they listen to those strategies, uh, it gives them a chance to take that breath, to calm down and to look around and go, oh, I, I see how this is going to work. Yeah, I, I know, you know, I you're talking about, you know, being in, in a B-spec car. I, you know, I talked about dri- driving a fit like, OK, I'm in a fit. But if I come out of this hairpin and I look across and I see the Corvette coming into the straightaway, I know that within half a lap, they're probably going to catch me, you know? And so then I look up in the mirror a couple of times and the vet goes by and, you know, or the vet comes up, point by goes out. And, um, you know, when you build that kind of awareness, the speed differentials are not as big a deal. Yep. Yep. So now when you, so it sounds like for each group, they all grid up for a particular group and then you just kind of send the whole grid out at one time for that group. Do you mix groups ever or no? Yeah, we, there are times that we will mix groups, but it is not typically, not typically novice, right? We're a whole lot more likely to, you know, if something comes up, let's say there's a thunderstorm and we're down for lightning for some period of time. You know, maybe we say, hey, look, we want to get you guys out for this last session. We're going to combine advanced and intermediate, but we're going to drop to the intermediate passing rules. Right. Um, We try, you know, novices with somebody in advanced group, you know, the speed differentials there. um, Those aren't always um, those might not always be the best. So we we would not try to combine that, but we might combine the two, you know, two groups that are closest together to, uh, you know, to give people a chance. But that usually ends up being in sort of an extenuating circumstances situation, not, you know, not something that is a regular occurrence. 
And there are three groups, right? Novice, intermediate, and advanced, or is there anything else besides that? Yeah, no, novice, intermediate, and advanced are what uh, OI Track Night runs. And and the reality is it's, you know, that's, yes, it's about experience, but it is also about comfort level. You know, I have people come up to me that say like, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm in a, I know I've done eight of these, but I'm in a new to me car and I just, I'm not going to go that fast today. Can I run in novice? And the answer is, you know, absolutely. And especially as long as they're aware that some of those novices may be on their their first track day and they may need some space, right? So we really work with each of the competitors, you know, each that dollar in the swear jar, I almost said competitors. We really work with each of the entrants to, um, you know, to find them the place that is, you know, fits what their goals are for for that day, for their vehicle, for how they're feeling. And so... So, yeah, so that's why, and that's why the three groups and, uh, you know, novice is passing by point by only on the straightaways. And with that coach, every session intermediate is also passing on point by, you know, by point by only on the straightaways. Advanced is passing anywhere on track, but still by point by. So, uh, you know, so that's how we sort of break them down and and what the, uh, you know, what the comfort level is and awareness level is of each one of those uh, groups of drivers. Got it. And just for people listening, right, a point by is the the driver in the front car will indicate which side car following them can pass them on safely. So both people know where to be on the track when it happens. Yep. Yep. And it's done, you know, unless there's, you know, unless you have, you know, there are some cars that might have a window net that make it hard to uh, put the put their hand outside the car or, uh, you know, every once in a while we'll see a driver with a medical issue that will require that, uh you know, they always have their hands on, on the wheel. Um, but the basic point by is outside the window and you'd go, you know, you point left for, for left and, or over the car for, for right. Um, I actually just did the B-roll footage for a video that we're making on this, uh, two weeks ago. So hopefully here in a few weeks, we'll <laughs> have that up on, uh, on the SCCA's YouTube channel and, uh, and be able to give really good, clear, concise, uh, explanations of that that people can watch over and over again. Cool. Well, how do you deal with a situation where a driver comes in and maybe they've only done one, you know, you, you've not met them before, but they said, oh, yeah, we're, I'm really experienced. I mean, but they're not like, how do you deal with that situation? It's it doesn't happen often. I will tell you that for the most part. People are more conservative than we would be. And I know that there's, you know, there's a lot of people, oh, everybody, you know, people are going to come out and they're going to, you know, what is it? The the joke from the internet meme a few years ago, the, you know, I'm flat out. I need to be in the highest group. The truth is those are very few and far between. How do we handle it if somebody ends up in a group that they're not ready for? You know, that is, that is what the black flag is for. That is what, uh, what a good coach with a good, I call it trackside manner is for. Right. And and usually, you know, it's a you, you go talk to that person and usually within a couple of minutes, it doesn't take long for them to realize that being in that other group. And I hate to use higher and lower groups because that's just not it's not the reality of it. But the you know, you help the drivers understand that being in the appropriate group actually helps them have a better experience. There are there are some times when I have had people be forceful and, you know, you said earlier, um, 
that, you know, you must have lots of experience, um, you know, at different tracks. Yeah, there are something like 70 natural train road courses in this country, and I've driven on 61 of them. Um, so every once in a while, I have somebody come in and, you know, or not every once in a while, but um, I think once somebody said, oh, I've driven a lot. And I said, where? And he goes, oh, nowhere around here. And I said, try me. Um, and he went, oh, I've driven this part of the country. And I, I said, oh, what track? This track. And I said, okay, describe to me how to drive this corner. And um, they couldn't describe it. And he was, well, I'm better at this other track. And I went, cool. How do you drive turn five there? Uh, and they went, oh, man, I don't remember the corner names. And I was like, you know what? You know, novices, novices, the group for you today. Um, so uh, what he didn't realize is that how much experience of those two tracks he had, he had just tried to bluff his way into. Um, but that is a, that has happened twice in, in, 25 years now of uh of helping organize track days that somebody is has tried to trick me into letting them onto a track most of the time it's it's really easy so it's called track night in america is it at night i don't know the what time is it usually and is it a weekday weekend and how much time does someone need to allocate to spend on it yes so it's it's a weekday evening afternoon but we really thought like tractor noon was not what we were what we were going for um but they run most of them run on weekday afternoons um, gates open around three o'clock and everybody is on their way home by 8 p.m uh and you know so about uh what is that five hours of, of footprint on a, on a weekday afternoon get about an hour of of time on track you know, but uh, with most of the locations, what that means is you can take a half day from work and be home in a reasonable uh, time to, to get to bed and get beauty sleep. Yeah, that was the other question I had. You, you said it about an hour on track. How, how many sessions typically are there for each group? Roughly, I mean, not roughly. We do, we do three sessions. Uh, the goal is to get as close to 20 minutes per session as possible. Uh, depending on things like in lap times and, you know, it may be, maybe we're throwing the checkered flag at 17 minutes into the session or 18 minutes into the session, depending on the size of the track. But it's, uh, but it's three sessions for each group and on those events. Got it. Now let's say somebody wanted to do autocross instead. They've heard it from the buddies, want to go check it out. Like what, what kind of format do you expect there? Um, and what is that like? So autocrossing is still one of my absolute favorite, favorite things to do. It doesn't matter what I've done. You know, the most scared I've ever been in a car was, you know, on an autocross course because of the, the, the speed at which I was slaloming. And so, uh, you know, autocrossing is beautiful. And what, what autocrossing is, is we take a, as big an expanse of asphalt or concrete that we can find and we set up a course using cones and if you've ever driven around town if you have no idea what it is if you've ever driven around town and, and looked out at a lot and maybe seen some uh, some police cars negotiating traffic cones and you know in one of their performance um schools that they do for police officers autocrossing is really kind of like that we build a course using traffic cones so if you hit something it's soft and rubber and then you run that course one car at a time. To date, it has all been under a stopwatch. So it is a competition. We are working on a non-competition format of autocross, just like Track Night in America is a non-competition format. 
Autocross is also, uh, let's not use the word socialist. Autocross is also an event where when you go and you, you drive it, they'll typically, let's say they split it up into four groups. And so you might drive in group one, but then you will, you'll be a, a worker for group three, right? So, and when you're driving, the group three drivers are helping out on course. Maybe they're picking up cones or they're working the start line or something like that. So, uh, so everybody pitches in, um, everybody gets to drive. And so it really just ends up being a group of enthusiasts putting on an event for each other. And then you get to go out and, and drive your car as quick as you can through the course, which because a lot of them are done, you know, you might be in an old mall parking lot or something like that. The speeds are generally kept slower. We call them low speed events. Um, we don't like to see the speeds go over about 55 or 60 miles per hour. And you, you know, you say, well, that's not that fast. But you also just heard me say that the most scared, you know, the, the most scared I ever was was in an autocross car. Um, autocrossing is a lot like trying to park your car in your driveway at 60 miles an hour. That's, it's pretty exciting. I had one, uh, I had a person the other day, she was in, she had just done an autocross school actually at Cherry Point, North Carolina up at the uh, Naval Air Station. And, and after her run, she said, oh my gosh, it's like running down a hotel hallway. And, uh, and I told her I was going to quote her on it. And so uh, it's, it's that sort of sensation of movement and speed. And it doesn't matter that you might only be doing 35 or 40 miles per hour. It is, it is a precision driving competition. Like track night um, and pretty much anything else you're going to ever have on a racetrack. You know, you have groups. Groups are typically divided up and not across in um, sets of classes, or maybe even they might even have a novice group, if, depending on the region. So you go out, you're going to make somewhere between three and six or eight runs, depending on the event. Um, you'll get your time and then you get to compare it uh, to other people. Or as I tell people, the first time you go to an autocross, your first job is to complete the course. And your second job is to go faster on your last run. Uh, than you did on your first run. And if you do those two things just just in competition with yourself, then you've you've won your first autocross. Yeah, yeah. So what about the costs? They're probably even cheaper than track night, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's, you know, different lots will be different things. My guess is that our, is that our autocross entry fees across the country right now range from... 30 to $70 um, for a regional event, right? You know, if you go to someplace like Washington, D.C., and they, they're renting out FedEx Field, uh, you know, the expenses of that may drive the, uh, probably drive the entry fee up a little bit more. But if you're, you know, in South Carolina region and you're running in the back parking lot at, you know, at Darlington, uh, Darlington International Raceway where they run, it's less expensive there. I think it's only like $40. Um, because there are more venues, they're closer to home, so there's less travel, less uh, less chance at having to get a hotel. Um, so my guess is that if I had to if I had to put a number on it, I'd say that autocrossing is a you know for most people is a less than a hundred dollars for an event, which compares you know super similar to you know if you've got one of those indoor karting places and you look and you go oh man I'm gonna go do three eight minute sessions for twenty dollars a piece right it's very very similar in cost to something like that. Yep. And so the, the, the format is they, they just, they go up by groups 
and then you finish the course and then they send the next person out to finish it one after another right yeah there some courses are long enough that there might be another car on course with you at the same time but you're usually separated by 30 seconds or you know or more um and so you're never in any kind of proximity with that person you know i think i ran two weeks ago i ran an autocross and it was a what i think we were even doing like 65 second runs and there were you know three cars on course at a time so you know you're you're separated by so much that you are essentially alone are these these typically on weekends yep there are a few there are a few uh programs in the country that may try a week a weeknight autocross um living down here in the carolinas uh, you know, for a while there was a non-SCCA club. I think actually they still do at Highland Sports Car Club. Had a great night series, but Central Carolina's region of the SCCA did a night series event. And uh, you know, I mentioned we're piloting a non-competition autocross program. We're not sure what we're going to call that yet, and I will not repeat our internal ones lest they stick. But you know, we're working on something that you know very similar to Track Night in America. Hopefully we can go out and host an autocross that doesn't, you know, we're not handing trophies out. We're not, you know, telling you how good or bad you did based on a stopwatch. We're, you know, allowing you to come out, pay an entry fee and then, uh, you know, run a few times and uh, and go home uh, on a week on a weeknight, uh, you know, much like a, a test and tune at a drag strip might work. Cool. So you'd, you'd mentioned earlier about um, the Enduro format. That is, that is pretty new to SCCA, isn't it? It It is, it is and it isn't. You know, SCCA has been doing, well, let's, let's back up and we'll, and we'll talk about endurance racing, right? Enduros or endurance racing would be something that is, to us, is longer than a sprint race. So a wheel-to-wheel sprint race in SCCA would be 30 to 45 minutes, depending on the event, depending on the location. So an endurance race in the SCCA might be an hour. It might be 12 hours. It might be 24 hours. And we had, we had those, I mean, well back into the, into the seventies and, uh, and even sixties. And then in about 2000, let's call it 2010. Some of it was a little earlier than that. Uh, we saw a rise in what I will call easy access endurance racing, right? These are programs like lemons and chump car and, uh, and WRL and AER. And the the SCCA sort of, you know, I'll call it hardcore um, endurance racing. Uh, a lot of the folks that would have participated in that sort of gravitated to these low, you know, low, low buck, um, easy access endurance programs. And the SCCA did not have a space for that. And a couple of years ago, we we set out to say, okay, what happens if we do create a space for that? And that is the endurance, the endurance racing board that I am on that we are working with. It is how do we make and what does it look like if the SCCA, you know, ventures into this easy access world of endurance racing that uh, that a lot of folks are doing right now. And by easy access, what we mean is you don't necessarily what, need a, what a driver's be, uh... What was that? Okay. And, and, and tell me a little bit more about the, the format that you guys are proposing or have already proposed that people can look forward to in terms of participating in, in these endurance races with SCCA. So, you know, 
we call it we call it team enduro you know because we really want to encourage and we also recognize that um it's more fun to do things with friends and so you know you can get a group of friends with a with a race car maybe you all work on it you know five weekends in a row and then come out and drive it together on on another weekend we have nationally we put together four classes some of the regions doing them they don't necessarily have to use those classes so there may be one class or there may be six classes uh, but it is designed to allow any car that is that passes the what we call the basic road race safety um, which means roll cage race seat race belts you know we're not super worried about whether you have the you know a lot of people think like, oh, I'm going racing. I need a turbocharger on my car. It's not that right. There are a lot of cars that in in this in this environment, some, a group of people are going to buy. And then the only th things they are going to modify is putting the safety equipment in it. And then they're going to make sure the brake fluid is fresh and the tires are new and the brakes are new. And then they're going to go out and they're going to run this. And in a couple of weeks, we've got a 14 hour event at, uh, at Nelson Ledges. Uh, last year we ran a pair of twin eight race, twin eight hour races. So these are multiple hour races for the most part uh, that people can come out with a group of friends. And at the end of the day, if everybody has gotten a couple of days in, in that car, you know, the first thing, much like an autocross is, can we just finish this thing? Can this car that we put together uh, go out and make it to the end? That's always the first competition in an endurance race. And then from there, it's, you know, well, did we beat our buddies that also built a car, right? So maybe it's not even in the class, but are you just beating your friends? Um, and then it's, okay, how did we actually do in, in the classes that, uh, that the event put together? Um, so that's the, that's the format. There, there are pit stops. There are driver changes. Um, SCCA Team Enduro did put a five-minute minimum on those pit stops because we didn't want to make it about we didn't want to make pit stop competitions, right? As fun as fun as it is to see how fast you can do a pit stop, we also recognize that people that have day jobs and have lives and, and maybe of vastly different, you know, sizes, you know, jumping in and out of cars and losing a race because of somebody else that either had a day to practice or um, matched all of their driver sizes perfectly isn't isn't really something that you want for an amateur event. So we've got these five minute minimums on uh, on the pit stops to give people a chance to change drivers, to fuel the car and to not feel rushed uh, and then go back out and, and really focus on the competition being on track. Awesome. John, I don't want to take too much of your time. We've uh, You've already given me all kinds of good information <laughs> and I think I'll probably end it here and um, really just I, I can't thank you enough for taking some time to meet with me. It's been wonderful meeting you. It's been absolutely my pleasure. It's it's so cool to, you know, I didn't know where you're from. And then you talk about, you know, running VIR. So I'm sure we're only a few hours apart. We we're meeting the, uh, you know, meeting the same people, have people in common. It's, it's great to be able to be here to, to talk about this, to share our enthusiasm together and to uh, see how small a world and how good a community we actually uh, live in, whether we know each other or not. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to thank you for listening to Driven to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. If you like the content, please share and like, but I have one ask for everyone listening. I would appreciate more than anything to add you to my weekly newsletter. 
simply visit my website, driventocompete.com, and you'll see a form to get on my newsletter where I share exclusive content and giveaway swag. Thank you.